This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Uh, I got another great guest for you today. I think you're really going to like this one. Uh, so Abel James, he is otherwise known as the fat burning man, probably uh, heard of him. He's just he's been around the space for a while. Uh, and he's been on gosh, ABC, he's been on all kind of television shows. Uh, he has his own uh, uh, highly successful podcast, The Fat Burning Man. Uh, he is also uh, an author of a book called The Wild Diet, which we will get into a little bit. And uh, so just very um, lucky to have him on. So uh, Abel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Dennis. Okay, well, um, I guess we'll get started by if you will, just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became the fat burning man. <laughs> sure. Well, I, uh, I've always been very much into running and whether it's hiking or going up in the mountains or, or something a little bit lower key, it's always been a part of my life. So that was my main kind of athletic pursuit growing up and, uh, you know, having a decent power to weight ratio matters and not carrying too much extra weight, uh, even if it's muscle matters. So that was kind of like an, an early interest that in biking, but over the course of time, you know, going to college, uh, kind of the freshman 15 and, and, and learning what they had to tell us there, even though it was an Ivy league institution about nutrition, I kind of developed these certain habits and ways of thinking about food and reading all the, uh, running magazines, learning about carb loading and, and marathon training and all this stuff. By the time I got my first job and my first real health insurance right out of college, I was working in consulting in Washington, D.C. And that was the first time I'd like been able to go into a doctor's office, like a, a really good or at least a very well-paid doctor uh, with very good insurance every couple of weeks and look at different biomarkers and track them over time. And I kind of got a kick out of doing that. The only problem was... Uh, going in over the course of about 18 months and following his advice to eat very low fat and to, yes, engage in the carb loading based on my running 30 miles a week or whatever it was. Over the course of that month and a half following his advice, I gained about 20 or 30 pounds and all of my or, or many of my biomarkers tanked. They went in exactly the wrong direction based upon my family history of trying to prevent high blood pressure or heart problems and, and various other things like carrying too much weight as, as runs in many families. And so uh, my health completely had, had tanked. And one night I came home, lost everything in an apartment fire, hence the pun fat burning man. And I realized that I was, you know, in my early 20s and paying a lot of money for a great doctor following his advice to a T and I was kind of like looking middle-aged with a fat inflamed face, 30 plus pounds overweight and being like, listen, bub, like this isn't working anymore. And it was like having the 
basically going against a lot of his advice, which said, you know, if, if you do eat saturated fats in a certain way, if you do go after red meats and don't eliminate them, then you'll probably develop heart disease and all sorts of various problems over time. So, you know, kind of going around that and learning a lot about cyclic ketogenic dieting and looking at people who had lost 300 pounds over time and kept it off. I started treating myself as an N equals one experiment. And I had a blog at the time. This was kind of before podcasting and uh, interviewed various people who were very fit, but shouldn't have been, and just learned by exploring the fringes that uh, the story that we're told about health and nutrition and fitness is very much not necessarily the case when the rubber meets the road. And so that uh, long story short, and I've already rambled for too long. Eventually, I did start a podcast that's been going for about 10 years now in audio and video and blog as well. So over like 500 interviews with various thought leaders of all different kinds, but mostly centered around the world of health. And that's been uh, the main source of education. I'm not the guru. I'm kind of along for the ride as, as people's guides, but it's, it's really through interviewing thought leaders that we share a lot of hopefully encouraging health information that can really help people mm. as you do as well. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, well, that's great. Uh, so, you know, now, everybody, most people have at least heard of the ketogenic diet and it's, it's kind of trendy. Um, so it sounds like when you kind of started that journey it was at least prior to 10 years ago, um, maybe there wasn't as much out there at the time, or at least it, it probably wasn't as trendy. Sure. Uh, was it, how did you go about just finding that information? Um, uh, you know, and then what, what kind of, I guess, struck a chord with you to think, okay, I'm going to eat all this fat and saturated fat. I mean, what, what was that process like? Yeah, well, it was by, I, I had always been kind of type A and, and excelling and following the right path or what I thought the right path might be. So when I realized that even getting this big fancy education and, and the best doctors or whatever didn't save me from making grave errors with my own health, I thought, you know, what, where else can we look? And what if we looked at the N equals one, the, the people who have kind of treated their own bodies or their own athletic performance or their own body composition, whatever it is, as that experiment and tried things that shouldn't work. And so I think it was my, my older brother had many years before that gotten really into the bodybuilding world and just, you know, just drinking a gallon of milk a day, some of these guys and other people eating 36 eggs for, for lunch and, or just like doing all this super bizarre stuff where it's like, shouldn't they be dead instead of having sometimes incredible athletic prowess or all sorts of, I mean, a lot of these people who have freaky results that are good, even in the natural world, because I'm not into the, the drugs or, or that sort of thing. But in the natural world, they, they're pretty eccentric, and they try all sorts of different things. And what actually gets people solid results over time can be very surprising. So I was uh, at the time when you when you looked something up on the internet, it wasn't even necessarily Google. You could find sometimes research papers, or you could find this kind of esoteric blog that was written by some professor in 1998 and just geek out on what a cyclic ketogenic diet looks like and how that could affect um, 
mental performance or athleticism or the way that glucose is stored in the muscles. And so people can still dig around and find a lot of this really remarkable stuff, but not so much on TikTok or CNN or even by Googling it so much anymore. Uh, but the, the fundamental principles of health that embrace our natural cycles of going into a catabolic state where you're under eating or fasting for a period of time was really critical for me to find and experiment with. That was definitely a big catalyst. And then you can have a lot of fun with kind of the, the overfeeding window, especially when you combine it with athletic pursuits. So when you kind of transferred to this type of, of lifestyle, did, were, were you just strict keto for a while or what did well, that look like? No, because I had always really gotten you know, the, the carb refeed thing, I definitely went overboard when I thought that it was uh, in my best interest to do so. But I realized after running my first few marathons and just coming kind of refueling too much with sugars and simple sugars and carbs that it, it had a negative impact on my immune system. And so it was really but through managing glucose in those refeeds after the long runs and the bet the expenditures of energy that I realized that, well, you know, what if I did try eating more coconut and avocado and maybe not to hard shift into eating three pounds of red meat a day, but, you know, have a burger here and there and, and just not worry about it so much before, because for years before that I had been uh, avoiding red meat and I had been really avoiding eggs or eating just the egg whites and, you know, <laughs> All, all sorts of things that were very specific and kind of high mental effort. And in giving those things up and giving myself a bit of freedom and, and re-embracing that intuitive eating, where it's like sometimes you crave different things and it's totally natural to do so. So looking into that world of what does, does fasting do for the body? What does under eating carbs do for the body? And experimenting with it, combining that with a bit of endurance training uh, allowed me to do things without fueling with sugar that I never thought I'd be able to, to do before. And also then I kind of experimented and I do these different experiments for a month or two at a time where it's like, okay, well, what if I try doing 16, eight fasting or just eating basically from noon until dinner time at 6 PM or so, um, could I gain muscle while doing that? Or am I going to lose some? If I try to do this with the same amount of training, I realized that sometimes you can gain muscle by doing less exercise and, and eating less and all sorts of bizarre things that shouldn't work on paper. And, and so having a, a fluid source of media and people to talk to through interviews like this and, and podcasts has just been fascinating because there are a lot of fundamentals and a lot of principles. Um, that are practiced by almost everyone who knows what works, but then there are all sorts of little things that are yeah, a little bit little. different for everybody. And yeah. it's, so it's always important to find that balance. Sure. Do you feel like when you transitioned over to this style of eating that you lost some performance? Uh, because when I went lower carb, I was doing a lot of CrossFit at the time. Now, granted, yeah. it, it sounds like you may, you might've eased into it a little bit more than I did. I, I kind of went hardcore keto um, yeah. and, and, and I did lose some performance for probably about four months, three or four months. And then mm -hmm. after that time, I, I guess I got pretty fat adapted and, and I was just as good as what I was before eating higher carb. Did, did you kind of go through all that or? Yeah. In a similar, in a similar way, except the times when I pushed it too far and went too long and kind of bonked, but like a slow motion bonk where 
it was over the course of days and all of a sudden I'd feel like, oh, boy, it's it's eight o'clock at night. I better go to sleep, you know, and, and a little bit gassed out all the time or just not feeling like you had the energy. So the fatigue had been adding up. I noticed that my uh, libido would drop if I went too long, especially if I combined some amount of running and, and training with going just super low carb. Also, I did um, uh, not specifically CrossFit, but it was kind of like a hybrid CrossFit, Krav Maga, self-defense type stuff. So a lot of very, uh, well, kind of glycolytic or sugar intensive, high intensity work. And so if I went too hard there and didn't get that refuel with a proper sweet potato or something like that, I would notice the tr more the trouble sleeping, the fatigue, and all sorts, sorts of other things that I didn't like, especially being in my 20s, which right. seemed totally inappropriate. So having some level of uh, knowledge about what that balance is to, to have those refeeds was important to me. Um, but I think depending on what your goals are, there are definitely benefits for going through certain periods of time where you're very low carb and our body's well adapted to do that. Um, and then other times where food is more in abundance and kind of mimicking nature and hopefully eating with the seasons as well as you're doing all of this, it can, can really support your health. Yeah. So is that what you mean? Cause you've mentioned the term cyclic keto. Um, you know, my listeners should be very familiar with, with keto. And, you know, I talk a lot about low carb and, and insulin levels and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, talk about cyclic keto and just kind of what that looks like and why you might recommend that versus maybe just continuous keto. Yeah. Well, basically what you want to avoid is being on a steady drip of, of sugar constantly that steady drip of glucose uh for for me anyway was negative in terms of mental energy running out of food or running out of gas running out of fuel every few hours and feeling like you needed something from the outside world to keep you going uh is really a state that i'd like to avoid and i think a lot of people would and so you know, especially with keto, and you're right, it, it's not new at all, but kind of that the pendulum swings back and forth, it gets a new name or it gets some new spin or hype around it. It was always known as low carb before, uh, or banting, or, you know, there, there are so many different Atkins and, and various forms of low carb keto, but it's pretty squishy as a term these days. No one knows exactly what they're talking about or, or listening to when someone says keto does it mean fewer than 20 net grams of carbs a day does it mean like fewer than 50 or 100 over the course of the time it's a little bit different for everyone so the way that i like to think about ketosis or you know fat burning man is kind of supposed to mean that fat is our main source of fuel and that's that's kind of the the slow burn the thing that we can dip into over the course of days or even weeks whereas sugar is really quick access quick hit energy for the most part and if we rely on that too much then it's kind of just like fueling with rocket fuel redlining all the time and it's addictive uh, it's a kind of a state that that leads to overeating for a lot of people whereas if you do go low carb and, and build that gear over time which does take a bit of time for some people and yes uh 
there can be uh, an adjustment when it comes to physical fitness as well. And especially if you're in power sports or even endurance events, you'll notice as you shift and you take away those carbs, your body needs some time to build that gear. But once you do, you can go longer without food with, with solid mental performance and feeling like um, it's, it's really an absence of hunger that I didn't experience before I built that gear, you know, where you're not thinking about food, you don't need that refuel so often. And uh, it can be an effective state to be in for say half the day where you have an on and an off button. And so from a practical point of view, being able to go without food for a lot of the time and go without carbs and not rely on them and then refeed with them every once in a while for, you know, going out to dinner or survival scenarios where carbs are kind of the only fuel available or you're, it's just the only option sometimes. So having the, the flexibility to be able to sometimes eat carbs and refuel with them can be totally appropriate for a lot of people from a lifestyle perspective and the setting up your life with that on and off switch, the eating and the not eating can simplify a lot of things for people. I know it did for me. It's not right for everyone. Like fasting uh, for the most part wouldn't be right for kids and pregnant women or people with a history of eating disorder and that sort of thing. Uh, but it can be a useful tool for a lot of people to explore. And, and also one that uh, is very historically appropriate. You know, our ancestors would have definitely gone through periods of, of under, excuse me, under eating as well as overeating. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're describing just to, you know, put the fancy term to it would be metabolic flexibility, correct? Absolutely. Uh, which yeah. to, to me is the ultimate goal um, is, is to be able to burn fat for fuel, be able to, to burn glucose for, for fuel. And, and you should be able to tap into both of those stores. Uh, unfortunately, most of the people, uh, walking around, especially here in Oklahoma, probably not as bad in Colorado, you know, they're, they're exclusively relying on carbohydrates, you know, to burn right. fuel. And so they have to teach their bodies to, to burn fat, which is, is why I like keto, um, uh, at least initially to teach their bodies to do that. And then later maybe introduce those, those carbohydrates once, once their bodies learn how to kind of tap into that fat. Would, would you agree with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. And it's easy to get caught up in the hype where it's just hating on carbs and hating on any particular macro, uh, isn't ultimately all that useful. It can be a little bit, but it's more nuanced than that. Like, are we talking about, uh, pure glucose? Or are we talking about a slice of bread? Or is it something like a resistant starch that's been heated and then cooled again, like whether it's a potato or, or oatmeal? Uh, what's the fiber look like in the diet? How is that, you know, buffering the glucose spikes? What's the glycemic effect of all this? So when we talk about carbs, we don't know the answer to all those questions because it's a little bit reductive. Um, so in your own life, you'll learn especially as you experiment with these different ways of eating or, or wearing a glucose monitor, which I've done several times and I'll, I'll probably be doing in another few weeks. There are a lot of surprises. There really are, you know, and a lot of the things that are, uh, the, one of the things that spiked my blood glucose more than almost anything else. And I think it said keto friendly on the bag were these, you know, uh, gluten free tortilla chip things that are supposed to be all healthy. And I think they, they had coconut flour in them and they, but they also had starch in them and just a few handful of the fulls of those spiked my blood sugar more than any other food that I had, including several brownies, bananas, you know, drinking 
20 grams of sugar from, from coconut water all at once. Like nothing impacted my blood sugar more than eating these supposedly healthy alternative chips. Mm. And so it's easy to fall into those traps. That's why it's important sometimes, I think, to do some level of self-quantification or be honest with your numbers. I think you can, anyone can get crazy with tracking, but dipping into that every once in a while can be a really educational and informative experience. Yeah. I'm actually getting ready to put one on myself. I've, I've got them sitting at my office and I just nice, yeah. had, hadn't put it on yet, but um, I'm, I'm actually going to, going to do the same uh, just for what you recommended. So, uh, so you eventually um, became an author. You wrote a book called the, the wild diet. So talk about, just kind of your motivation to do that. And, and then a little bit about the, you know, the wild diet. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of approach this maybe a little bit differently because uh, I come at this from being a musician for most of my life and writing a lot of music and words that way. So I kind of saw as I was coming up in ancestral health in the world of paleo and low carb and keto, that, that some of these words were really being um, carried off by marketers into all sorts of crazy directions. And, um, and I worried about that because the world of health is so much more about fundamental principles, I think. And, and for the most part, specifically following the principles of nature and the natural truths out there, the, the knowns and the unknowns, but using nature as a guide uh, and, and even looking in the rearview mirror sometimes to figure out what went wrong in, in pursuit of health. And so generally speaking with, with the world of health, when you see people carry off these words and these trends, what you don't want is the education to be lost. If you wanna keep weight off for a long time, to put in that education and learn certain things. So it was always a goal of mine to, to help build a community of people uh, who understood the natural way of, of eating. And uh, yeah, when I, when I thought of the world, the word wild, it's one that stands out to me as being less abused than natural or nature. Like the word natural doesn't mean anything anymore. And, and you could argue the same thing for wild, but or, or paleo or keto and all these other things. But at least with the word wild, it seemed like no one could really own it completely. It, it does reference nature and hopefully gives some amount of reverence to it. So when we talk about whole foods, are we talking about the grocery store line that's owned by Amazon or are we talking about whole real foods in the true sense of the word. It gets tricky. So anyway, uh, when I wrote the book, The Wild Diet, I wanted to give people basically, if you had a couple hours or, or a plane ride or, or whatever to try to learn about health or dip your toes into it, um, could you learn enough in a couple hours to get by and have a basic reference for uh, forms of training with the whole body? Uh, you know, using proper form and doing exercises that are ancestrally informed, uh, you know, incorporating sprints and other sorts of movements in, into your uh, practices and rhythms and whatever. We don't need a whole article and a whole book about that necessarily to work it into your life. So can we draw from these different aspects of life and eating real foods to create uh, some sort of plan for if you show up for 30 days, what can you eat for breakfast? Can you skip breakfast and push it out into later in the day? And these are all questions that, you know, had been answered on the podcast in various ways over the course of time, but putting it into something that you can hold with recipes in it 
making all the excuses for, oh, I don't know what to cook for dinner tonight, or, or I don't know what to do about breakfast. It takes away all those excuses, and it's something that hopefully you could have forever. And, and uh, I think there are so many books like that, at least dozens and dozens of excellent, fantastic books about the fundamental prin principles of health and fitness and uh, well, the pursuit of health in general that will keep you going that I encourage people to go back to more so than trying to look something up on the internet now where it's just a totally different game. Listening to things that are long form, I think are it's a fantastic way to learn for the most part, but the, the quick hit, clickbait, fear-based stuff really isn't serving a lot of people's health these days. So I encourage people to go back and, and find those old books and, and, you know, knock the dust off of those old recipe books and just, you know, <laughs> go for it again, have some fun with it. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need everything right in front of you. It doesn't have to come from your phone. It's, it's great if you have some analog way of going all about this. So I'm a big fan of books in general. Okay. So talking about excuses, uh, some of the excuses people are going to use when you're talking about a wild diet, you know, I, I tell people to eat foods with one ingredient, which, you know, kind of, kind of goes yeah. along with that. Um, but I mean, people are going to say, gosh, I leave early in the morning. I get home late, got to run the kids to soccer practice and difficult, you know, they don't have time to cook. And then at lunchtime they have to go out and eat, you know, it's difficult to to cook at home and eat those meals that are maybe quote more natural. And it's a lot easier, of course, to stop by McDonald's or whatever. I mean, what, what kind of advice do you have for people who? Yeah. And it's, it's a fair thing to say. It's certainly something I've heard many times before, sure. but one example I'll use is uh, when I was on that TV show years back, I was working with a guy uh, named Kurt who, you know, had a good job, a, a day job, but he was 352 pounds uh, and and with a whole bunch of different health conditions when I met him. And one of the reasons was kind of the culture of, you know, living in the South and every Friday, Captain D's is like a fried fish chain that I wasn't really familiar with before I went down and lived down there in Georgia, but there are chains like that everywhere. You know, it's just like, whether it's fried chicken or fried fish, anyway, he would go there with his coworkers every Friday. And so he didn't want to miss out on and, and might even be kind of like from a social perspective, penalized for not showing up for, you know, a place where everyone goes every Friday. This is a thing that we do in our culture, you know, or this is the thing that we do at work. And so everyone runs into this at, at one point or another. But the way that he managed it um, or, or we worked it out together was um, I, I don't recall if at the time, because this was years ago, if it was actually on the menu, but despite the fact that it was pretty much a fried fish place, it's just like, uh, I'm like, what if you asked them if they could steam or grill something for you instead? And he's just like, oh yeah, I guess I could ask that. And so every Friday he showed up and he just asked uh, if they could steam or grill, you know, his choice of fish or, or whatever he wanted to eat that day. And, and they could. And over the course of time, you know, over, they would go in there a few times. Then they learned that that's just, oh, Kurt's here. We'll get that for him. So they brought out like the healthy version of the stuff, even though it's kind of just the Taco Bell of, of fish right. places. And so if you want to go to McDonald's and get a salad, then know that most of the problem is probably going to be in the dressing. 
You know, that's where the education piece comes in. You can get around some of this and it won't be ideal. It's not the freshest food or the best mm -hmm. food for you. There are preservatives and chemicals and all sorts of stuff like that. But if you know that the worst part of it probably is going to be the dressing and you, you put that to the side or you don't eat it and you just try to find something green to eat or try to find a, a decent source of protein, whether it's lean or fatty, hopefully it doesn't come along with too much baggage and it wasn't sourced or, or put... Uh, you know, combined with all sorts of fillers and terrible things for you and is going to fill you up and satisfy your hunger. You'll learn how to do this in all sorts of different places and ways over the course of time. You might even appreciate eating a hamburger without the bun from time to time as we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Um, so by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be midsummer. And so if somebody's listening to this you know, they, they want to ask you, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going on a vacation in a month or six weeks and I want to, I want to lose, you know, 10 pounds. I want to look good in my bathing suit. What, what advice would you give them? How would you tell them? To Take your blinders off and stop tricking yourself. It would be the first thing that I would say, because it's very easy to do that. And it, myself, it's like, we all struggle with this all the time. And usually the problem area is near the end of the day, you know, maybe even a little bit after dinner, after dinner, approaching dinner time where you hit some food that you're not supposed to, or you're just like digging in, maybe eating a little too much. And you're like, ah, it doesn't matter that much. But, you know, if you are in pursuit of results, the people who I've seen do the best at that and get them most predictably are the ones who have some level of discipline or regimented aspect of their life where they ensure that that doesn't happen where if they want a cookie and they know that they can you know kind of budget for that cookie that day they find a way to eat one cookie at the right time you know and and work it in you don't have to give it up there's a way to do it but at the same time um it's so easy to get carried away and and so there's a big difference between drinking one beer or a six-pack there's a big difference between having a little bowl of popcorn and a whole bag. And so for many of us, that's kind of uh, the quick, easy, simplified solution that's simple from an idea perspective, but in real life is, is very difficult to kind of set up for a lot of people. So that's, that's what I would say can help some. And then in general, just focus, like you said, on those single ingredients, simple foods that we would have been eating generations ago. Um, and learn how to cook at least a few meals that you know are decent from a nutritional perspective, whether it's scrambling some eggs or learning how to cook up a protein uh, properly to satisfy your hunger or impress some friends or have some fun with it. You know, these are things that are life skills, but also survival skills, I would argue, especially with the future that we're looking at these days. Very good. So uh, I seem to be asking this next question more and more because this is a health and wellness podcast after all, and I'm all about just health optimization and longevity. And a lot of my guests are like you, um, you know, they've been doing this a long time and they've learned, learned a lot, you know, on this journey. So I'm curious if you would, uh, with everything you've learned over the years and that, you know, take us through your like typical daily regimen. Uh, I mean, what, you know, what your meals look like, uh, you know, do you fast every day, what your workout routine looks like? Yeah. So generally speaking, I, I have kind of a typical day, but I also like to see it, uh, from a more top-down perspective where you're planning by week and by month or by season as well. So it's not exactly the same every day, but generally speaking, what I like to do is 
not eat um, a solid meal or even any calories, usually before 11 or a.m. Or, or noon time. And so I'm doing that 16-8 style fast. I've done the one meal a day approach for probably seven or eight years and, and really kind of enjoyed it at the time for the most part. And, and there are different ways of going about this that, that are going to be right for various people. But generally, I don't eat eat breakfast, or at least I'll push my breakfast out. I love breakfast for lunch or breakfast for dinner. So scrambled eggs, bacon, uh, a good solid source of meat. I love grass-fed uh, beef. We, we do tend to eat, especially in recent years, uh, quite a few ruminant animals and red meats, more so than chicken and fish. Um, and that can be a great budgetary bang for the buck compared to a lot of fish and, and chicken, depending on, you know, we, we like to look at sometimes the calories that we're buying or the protein that we're buying, the macros that we're buying more than the food, if that makes sense. And especially with the price of food going nuts from a lot of different directions, it's important to know, to know how to do that. So eggs are a big part of, uh, of what we're eating in various forms. Sometimes that'll be in like, uh, Yesterday, for example, my wife made some wonderful plantain pancakes, which are really simple. You take plantains, which are kind of like green bananas and basically one to one ish with eggs, uh, put them in a blender and then you can cook them up just like that. And you can have them with eggs or you could have them with a source of protein. We used them uh, as buns for hamburgers last night. And so uh, you can have a lot of fun with some simple ingredients and and actually have it be quite indulgent if you get carried away as we do with sauces and spices and fermented foods uh, looking at probiotics and the microbiome and trying to feed that with prebiotics and probiotics and even specific strains is also something to have a lot of fun with uh, you don't necessarily need all of that knowledge to get there but including some source of fermented foods we see as an important part of the diet, as well as, you know, acids and vinegars and, and various sauces and things like that can play roles for cooking nutritionally, as well as just being entertaining when you're eating. Because if you eat too much bland food, it's it's easier to overeat. Whereas if you uh, do experiment with some fun spices of various kinds and, and different types of flavors, even if it's bitters or sours that aren't really engaged in a lot in our culture, especially by fast food chains so much. Uh, you can have a lot of fun with this and fill yourself up usually in fewer meals than you'd expect. And, and so for my wife as well, she, she tends to do something like a 16-8, but she'll usually eat earlier than I do. Sometimes she'll do one meal a day if we're on the road, not really expending ourselves that much. And so some days we'll have the more one meal a day thing and others, you know, it's fun on the weekend to not care as much. If you want to go out and have breakfast, you can or, or pre-feed for a big hike or something and, and allowing yourself that flexibility as well is really important from a lifestyle perspective. Okay. So it sounds like you're, um, so doing intermittent fasting, you're eating, sounds like fairly high protein eggs, uh, beef, things like that. Yeah. And then and high fat you, as well, but, but protein is the main thing that we're pursuing. If that makes sense. Gotcha. And then, uh, what is your workout routine like now? Are you still doing a lot of running or what kind of stuff do you do? Yeah, I guess the, the kind of like main, I, I call it doughboy mode when I go into that, just kind of like maintaining a level of fitness, but not beating yourself up because, um, for some people the, a big mistake in terms of longevity for a 
or athletic performance is drilling yourself into the ground or running through injury or going too hard too long or, or throwing something out or blowing out your knee in a crazy CrossFit lift or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I try to prevent that by not going completely insane, you know, 11 out of 10 in terms of effort for every single exercise or whatever. Um, in, in pursuit of longevity, uh, I do heavy lifting where it's a little bit more than my body weight, but not necessarily that much more, pretty much all from home. I'll do a little bit more than my body weight, uh, deadlifts, a few sets of, you know, five to 10, maybe 15, uh, squats, full body movements, you know, presses and pulls, push-ups, burpees. Um, those are kind of maintenance exercises. And I'll just do kind of like a few of those a day. Like sometimes say it's a Tuesday and I have a lot to do. Uh, a workout might be two sets of chin-ups, just 12 of them in a row or whatever it is. And that's it. I'm good. I kind of checked that box for the day, but also I'm going for walks with the dog and I'm getting out a little bit and not really counting that so much as a workout as much as trying to include it in every day, like getting sunshine or drinking water, you know, where, where you're kind of doing these things and moving for the most part. I'm standing up during this interview and I do for a lot, not every single one or every single one of them, but, you know, trying to be in multiple positions uh, throughout the day is really important. And then when it comes to running, I used to run, I was running more than 50 miles a week for a while. I've seen a lot of runners overrun to the point where they can't now, <laughs> or they haven't been able to for many years and might not be able to again due to long-term injury and wear and tear. And so um, I like doing more short bursts and hikes and going for um, especially as we age, one thing that can be really useful, oddly enough, is hill sprints. As long as you're not going too crazy with them, if you're running uphill, you're not going as fast mm -hmm. and you're not getting as out of control as some people can. So I'd like doing sprints once a week, heavy lifts once a week and sprinkling in those other, you know, um, 30 or 50 kettlebell swings here and there, you know, kind of throughout the day when I feel a low in in energy instead of going to sugar like many of us are trained to do and like i used to or going to food um i might actually go for a kettlebell or i might just pump out a few dips or something like that so i try to have strewn about the house for better or worse kettlebells pull-up bars just little weights and little things to remind uh myself my wife and, and other people who come here like this is a part like be active throughout the day and try to have these little snacks of activity throughout the day. And that'll give you a mental boost, help you feel a lot better, but it doesn't have to be as crazy as running for 30 miles every day or anything like that. Yeah. I think you just described the, the kind of the ultimate longevity routine for working out. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm certified in kind of anti-aging medicine and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, what I tell people is, um, move on most days, number one, lift something heavy a couple of days a week, and then maybe throw in a, some type of a hit workout once a week. I mean, that yeah. to me is kind of the ultimate longevity, which is exactly what you described. Uh, unfortunately, I don't take my own advice and I go too, <laughs> uh, I go too hard and I'm in that camp right. that you mentioned at first. Uh, um, matter of fact, that just this last week, I, um, tore a bicep, uh, doing, oh, no. doing CrossFit. I mean, I, so I don't act my age when it comes to working out. I love going hard and heavy and fast and I need to, it's fun. it is fun. It is, I, fun. It is. And, and so I haven't got to the point where I just said, okay, look, I'm going to do this more for longevity. I mean, I still just 
I, I like pushing myself and I like the aesthetics of being strong and, and fit and which, which I know you can have that anyway. So, but anyways, yeah, I think what, what you just recommended is, is perfect, you know, for people. So. Well, and I would imagine that getting hurt is part of the process and probably isn't so bad for us either, you know, where we take these, these longer periods of rest. I have, I have noticed that, you know, if you've built that capacity before, then it's quite a bit easier to come back. You might have to give yourself a few weeks or even a few months, but you can come back yeah. for the most part from a lot of these these injuries if you give yourself the time and, and you treat yourself well and you focus on recovery and kind of maybe treating the reason that that problem happened at the same time that you're healing, if that makes sense. Because most of these things, as you know, happen due to Im imbalance and just yeah. kind of this yeah. poor form or all the scar tissue that's built up and all these repetitive movements that are a little too stiff after all these years or whatever it is, yeah. or, or just old injuries coming back to haunt us. So as long as you're honest about those and try to work through them, then uh, yeah, we can, we can get through that even with a bit of injury and, and like challenging yourself is part of it. You don't want to stay in doughboy mode forever. That's why I like breaking it up with just like surprising myself with going up to 11,000 feet sometimes and just like all this vertical gain and crushing 12 miles and then being totally beat up by the end. I think a little bit of that every once in a while is good for us as well. Kind of like doing a, you know, a three day fast every few months or once a year or something like that can be good for the body to to kind of be tested but yeah injuries are a drag no matter when it or how it happens yeah um before we wrap up here i i uh i love the picture you have on your website because you you have a kind of a, a picture where you were just a little bit you know on the softer side and then you said 40 days after firing my doctor <laughs> Uh, no offense of, to doctors, by the way. Oh, hey, none taken. You know, the conventional, uh, you know, recommendations, uh, you know, that's really kind of the premise of, of a lot of my podcast is it's just, just flat out wrong. I mean, and, and yeah. you know, doctors just don't know. And I feel fortunate that I've kind of seen the light and and understand the, you know, the misinformation that that's out there. But I can say that the biggest dietary health mistake I ever made was listening to my doctor's advice. Yeah. So now that's not necessarily because he was even a doctor. I mean, in a lot of ways it was, some people are paid not to know things or, you know, just have to pass along the, the dogma and you can't go out and color outside the lines. But especially now, there are so many people in the world of health and, and health practitioners, um, many of them doctors and credentialed who do, you know, allow for thoughts that might be outside of the established dogma they do allow for things that are that sound a little alternative or sound a little strange and, and you know that's what science is or at least is supposed to be and if someone we need to be the ones in charge of our health and hopefully we can sure. work with practitioners uh who know more than we do about various conditions but really you have the keys to your own body and it's your call and if people are giving you advice it may or may not be serving us for, for better or worse. You know, that's the world that we live in. And so if, uh, if you've decided that this is right for you and you've talked to your doctor um, about it, just ask yourself, do they support me and, and what I want to do with my health or not? Do I trust them that they're giving me the right information and in all of it? Are they being honest with this process? And hopefully a lot of people will say yes. You know, um, and keto is not necessarily right for for everyone, but 
we definitely know that fueling on sugar and carbs is not right for everyone either. And so uh, if a doctor says that they do not support you because you do choose to eat red meat every once in a while, or you're not slamming orange juice every day or doing whatever the thing is, uh, just have that honest sit down with yourself and hopefully find yourself a health practitioner or a doctor that does work to support you at some point and and putting effort into that search is a huge thing that will you'll probably have to do multiple times maybe every few months or every few years as you move as you move or your practitioner moves and and all this stuff it can be a challenge but it is so worth the effort and when you look at medical bills especially for families the amount of money that we're all spending on this stuff is significant. It's worth spending energy planning and making sure that you're working with the right people. I mean, there are a lot of dentists out there who just would love to drill into your teeth and do all this work that you don't need done, just like there are mechanics out there. And so um, same thing, unfortunately, is true with doctors, but there are definitely a heck of a lot of good ones out there, too, who are totally into what you're into, uh, you know, as, as the listener and what uh, Dr. Dennis is into and, and what I'm talking about. So go look for them. There are some networks out there that help connect people in their area with these types of practitioners. So I would encourage people to poke around and, and find a really good one because they're out there. Yeah, cool. Well said. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, uh, anything else you want to throw out there that I didn't ask you or? I would just say that the, you know, most of the time the, am the answer is a lot simpler than, uh, than is offered to people. So if you're doubting yourself, you have fear about the process or anxiety, or you don't think it'll work, know that that's totally normal. But I would encourage you to just go find a book, whichever one that kind of strikes your fancy, even if it's some strange fad diet or something like that, and just go deep for a few weeks and experiment, see how your body responds to eating whole real foods and all of that, being clean, drinking water, not having too much garbage. You'll feel better if, if you do it. And there are a lot of different ways to go about it. So don't forget to have a little fun as you do. Well, so as we wrap up here, I always ask my guests if they could give us one health tip that could make us healthier today, what would you say to that? Drink water. If you think you're hungry, you might be thirsty. And for, for almost everyone, <laughs> drinking water is a huge win. But also try to make that water very high quality, clean, not full of garbage, chlorine and additives or chemicals or... <laughs> propellants or, or pharmaceuticals or whatever has been leached from the local chemical companies. Like be honest about your water, drink the good stuff and that will serve you for the rest of your life. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, Abel James, appreciate your time, uh, known as the fat burning man. So I would, um, encourage everyone to check out his podcast. It's just, um, called the fat burning man. Uh, also his book is called the wild diet. Uh, I'm assuming they can find that on probably Amazon about anywhere, right? Yeah. You can so. probably find that just about anywhere. And are, are you, are you on, uh, Oh, your website, fatburningman.com. So if you want to just learn more about him, uh, you can go there. Are you on any other Instagram, social media, anything? I'm on some social media, but not all. Some of it has been nuked at this point by the powers uh, uh, from above the powers that shouldn't be as, as we like to call them. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you dig hard enough, I'm out there. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. All right. Well, uh, appreciate your time today and appreciate everybody listening. And uh, we will uh, talk to you next time. 
Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.